can stand and say, I believe. Corporately, embraced by God's people, where we say, as his body, as we confess, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is Jesus Christ, God's only Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born under the Virgin Mary, born of the Virgin Mary. Fact, fact, fact. The one and only beloved Son of God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And He is the beloved one. At his baptism, the Lord Jesus saw the Spirit descending upon him. Behold, a voice was heard from heaven. It said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, speaking of his exodus, Jesus up on the mountain there with Peter, James, and John, was transfigured, and he's there speaking to to Moses and Elijah. And at that moment, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then, um, subsequent to his triumphal entry, in John's Gospel, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, he said, is my, tro- my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And at that moment, a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there. They heard it. They thought it had thundered. Others said, well, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die, to be lifted up on a Roman cross. So we now consider the next part of the creed that says, He, Jesus Christ our Lord, God's beloved Son, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, there's a swift move in the creed here from being born of the Virgin Mary straight on to suffering under Pontius Pilate. If you notice, there's nothing in the creed that mentions his preaching, nothing mentions his teaching, nothing mentions his miracles. There is no mention of the fact that this is he who healed the blind. He healed the lame or the leprous. Or he is the one who by the word of his mouth raised the dead. No mention of the Sermon on the Mount. No mention of the Olivet Discourse. And the reason that there's no mention of those things is that in concise fashion here in the Creed, it is designed to get to the main purpose of Christ's coming. And that is the atoning work accomplished for us at the cross by way of his suffering and death. And any time a teacher, a preacher, or a professor 
attempts to play down, devalue, or, or soften this aspect of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, that is his suffering and the shedding of his blood, you can be sure that they are up to no good. And do not lend them ear. So let's look at Matthew 27, beginning in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor said, asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. He said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So having passed sentence on him for confessing who he truly was, the one and only Son of God, God in the flesh, the Son of Man, God's Christ, uh, the fact that he was equal um, with God, the religious leaders wanted him dead. In John chapter 5, we read that the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In John chapter 10, Jesus answered and said, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. To anyone who says Jesus never claimed to be God, there you go. So the high priest Caiaphas and the other religious authorities here in this day falsely convicted the Lord of blasphemy, which was a a capital crime according to the Mosaic Code. But under Roman occupation, they had not the right to carry out capital punishment. They could not enforce the death penalty. And even though on many occasions they did attempt to stone Jesus, they picked up stones to do so. They tried to push him off a cliff. But again, over and over again, we read in the scriptures, they were not able to do so because 
his hour had not come. It was preordained he'd be delivered up and that he would deliver himself up to death. But it was not yet his hour. In verse 18 there in Matthew 27, the scripture says that Pilate knew that they had delivered Jesus up because of envy. Now remember, Jesus taught as one having authority. Not as the scribes. So the crowds that heard him stood in awe, and not only the crowds, but the Pharisees as well. The Sanhedrin, the scribes and Pharisees who, who were outraged at him were nonetheless awestruck at his authoritative teaching. So Jesus, having exposed their Phariseeism, told the people within earshot, do not do according to their deeds. Okay, do as they say, not as they do. Because what they do, they do to be noticed by men. They're hypocrites. In Matthew 23, known as the woe chapter, Jesus said, Woe to you, to the scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites, you're blind guides, you make proselytes. And as you go to make proselytes, you make them twice as much the sons of hell as that you are. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, he said. You appear outwardly righteous. But inwardly, you're full of hypocrisy. You're full of lawlessness. As a matter of fact, he said, God's not your father. Your father is. Your father's the devil. You imagine that. So after three years of of vicious, jealous, vengeful hatred, the divinely preordained hour had come. So here, affirming as the creed does that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, the reason that's there is to confirm that this is an historical statement. Pilate is a historic person. Uh, The details of his life are recorded not only in the scripture, but, but also in secular history. For instance, Josephus, first century Jewish historian, records several incidents of the life of Pilate, uh, which are in direct accordance with his character described right here in the Gospels. Uh, He raided the temple treasury in order to build an aqueduct during his seven to eight year uh, rule there. He murdered some Galileans, as we learn in Luke 13, while they were offering sacrifices on the altar. Uh, He he wasn't viewed as a favorable governor uh, by Caesar. He wasn't one of uh, Caesar's favorites, if you will. Um, But even so, um, Pilate did have a great hatred for the Sanhedrin um, of the day. He despised them. So he wasn't going to be easily moved uh, to kill Jesus simply because Jesus had violated their you know, religious sensibilities and insecurities. He brought them to the surface. Uh, Tacitus, a Roman historian, he wrote in his annals soon after the crucifixion of Jesus uh, that, that Pilate was the governor of Judea, 
when Jesus the Christ was put to death. So the only reason, beloved, that you and I know about this territorial governor known as Pontius Pilate um, is that he goes down in history as the one who ordered Jesus to be crucified. Otherwise, he's a non-entity. He'd be a nobody. So Pilate's name here, again, is inserted in the Apostles' Creed. It's not with a view of, of branding him with, with infamy, you know, ordering the crucifixion and then washing his hands. I think that's why most people think his name is there. But this is more to, to fix the date for Christ's crucifixion. As they formulated the, the creed, it was put there um, to state that this is a historic fact and this is who was ruling at this time. So the testimony of the Gospels and the testimony of the creed um, are confirmed in both Roman and Jewish um, history. But it's not this even the event itself that stirs up controversy. I mean, this is a fact. It's the conclusions drawn from it that cause strife, that stir up anger. And that is that Christians proclaim, as we do, that he came to suffer as the only one who could redeem sinners. The only one who could save sinners. In other words, that he's the only way. And to provide that way, he had to suffer and he had to die. And of course, his suffering, his life, his work, his worth were all validated, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, uh, by way of his resurrection. Now, the scripture said that a crucified Christ to the Jews is a stumbling block. To Gentiles, it's foolishness. And that truth stands to this day, amen? It kindles hostility and continues to raise opposition. But Jesus came to suffer. Jesus came to die, and we're all familiar with his humiliation. We read in Philippians 2, verse 6, that who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, hopefully we're all well aware that Jesus lived a life of humiliation. And the first step of that humiliation was him condescending, coming from heaven to earth. To be born as a human being. To be born in a poor family. He was not born in a palace surrounded by riches. He was born in a stable. He was laid in a manger. There was no room for him at the inn. This is the Son of God. Incarnate Son of God. Lowered himself. And then as a baby, two years old or thereabout, had to escape with Joseph and Mary to Egypt in order to flee from Herod, who was seeking to kill him. Humiliation. from his descent and coming to earth. He would say to his disciples, you know, the foxes, they have holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay, rest his head. Humiliation. 
And remember this, he was the holy, sinless son of God. This is sinless perfection, living amidst sin and sinners. Imagine that suffering. Perfect holiness. Okay, we're redeemed people, amen? We have the Holy Spirit. We live amongst lost sinners, a sinful world that's hostile to the God that we serve. So we're somewhat vexed, amen? We're troubled. Okay, does the normalization of same-sex marriage trouble you? Does the normalization of homosexuality vex your soul? Does the blasphemy of, of the name of the Son of God trouble you? Yes. Does the philosophy and conduct of the world trouble you? Yeah, not unlike righteous Lot. Amen? We read in Second Peter 2, Righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked there in Sodom, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, not unlike Lot, we're also troubled, we're also vexed as a righteous people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, at the same time, we're still sinners. We still sin. Jesus was perfectly holy, suffering like this. The sinless Son of God. Imagine how vexed his soul was. Amen? There's another form of suffering. By what he heard, by what he saw, living amidst a fallen world. And then... This holy one is confronted directly by the powers of darkness. Tempted by Satan himself. Okay, you're never going to be confronted by Satan himself. Jesus was. All the powers of darkness came against him. The holy one. We read in the scripture that he came to his own and his own received him not. Rejected from day one. That's suffering. Surrounded by sin and sinners is perfectly holy. That's suffering. The, the miracles he performed were attributed to the power of Satan. That's suffering. Called names over and over again. That's suffering. And he suffered as he was tempted. Also, at every turn, he faced the strongest in most relentless barrage of temptations that anyone could possibly face. That's another form of suffering. Never have temptations been devised by the kingdom of darkness like those that were set against the sinless Son of God. So, also, because Jesus never sinned, Jesus, therefore, had to fight every single temptation every time to the end. And imagine the pressure he felt with the unmitigated force of each temptation. That's a form of suffering. And he succeeded every time in defeating every temptation to the end. Okay, listen to this insight. 
from Bruce Ware. And for those, uh, for those men of you who, who studied with me his work on the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, you remember this, quote, quote, Isn't it clear to any of us who think about the sin of our own lives that one of the reasons we give into temptation is that the pressure is off and the battle is ended once we've given in? The immediate sense of release from the struggle is deeply appealing when we don't want to keep fighting. So, marvel at our sinless Savior. Because he never sinned when tempted. This means that he fought every temptation fully to the end. He never, not once, gave in to that delicious and enticing longing simply to end the struggle by yielding to the temptation, end quote. So Jesus suffered in many ways. We should say in every way. All of his life was suffering. He suffered humiliation. He suffered loss. He suffered denial. He suffered hunger. He suffered thirst. He he suffered temptation. And he suffered rejection. The sinless son of God. Yet... The suffering referred to here directly in the creed uh, has most specifically to do with his passion. His passion. The suffering that occurred in the events immediately leading up to the crucifixion. That's what's in view here. But I didn't want to miss the other aspects of his suffering. So at this point in the creed, it's directing us to contemplate the redemptive suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. The suffering described so painfully and in such detail in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's Gospels. But it was prophetically foretold. Graphically, in a number of places, but we'll just pick one right now, and that's Isaiah. Hey, listen to Isaiah. I'll just scan this from chapter 52 and 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Verse 13, chapter 52. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they say they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who's believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You jump down to verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like sheep that before it shears the silence, he opened not his mouth. Stricken, verse 8, for our transgressions. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, verse 11, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Many. So looking to the cross, looking forward to the cross, Isaiah here foretells that the one, this one, will sprinkle many nations. We're recipients of this. We're part of the fulfillment of this. This suffering servant, who provides an effectual atonement, would not be one that we would choose. That's what the scripture says. He would not be one that we would choose. He will not share the attraction of a secular leader. That's the point. We wouldn't want him. But he, this king, will be marred beyond human semblance. Beaten to a pulp. Unrecognizable as a man. This king. But he's the one, notice, the one before whom kings will shut their mouths. Chapter 52, verse 15, is the king who was despised and we esteemed him not. Chapter 53, verse 3. He's the one. Okay, listen to John's gospel, chapter 18. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you're a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? It's what the world says today, right? What's truth? Who are you to say what's truth? What's truth? Can't we just be agnostic and all get along? (laughs) Just say we don't know? I am truth. Isaiah 53, 2. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And that means there was nothing regal or nothing royal about him. That we would look to him. No beauty that we should desire him. You know, it's been well said that our eyes are so easily confused so that we're attracted to the pretty and we turn our face from the beautiful. The cross displayed, foretold of in in Isaiah 53, isn't pretty, but it's beautiful. The description of a king is not like Isaiah 53 describes, right? Kings are supposed to look and walk and stand and, and, and sit and dress and carry themselves as a king. But God's suffering servant who stood before Pontius Pilate was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords and, and yielded up 
his stately form, yielded up his majestic glory in order to come and suffer under Pontius Pilate. Who asked, are you a king? Who asked, are are you king of the Jews? And who asked, what is truth? What is truth? As he stood before the very embodiment of truth. So finding no fault in him, Pilate took Jesus, delivered him, to have him, delivered him over, to, to have him flogged. John 19.2, soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Okay, mocking him. And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said, to, Pilate said to them, Eke homo, behold the man. More on that next time. Behold the man. So, so here, there, John 19, Pilate is used by God's divine sovereign providence to confirm the truth set forth in Isaiah 53, 9. He had done no violence, There was no deceit in his mouth. In other words, there was no guilt in him. Confirmed. As he suffered. Verse 6 of John 19. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Imagine this. Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You'd have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin, though they're all guilty. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. These people hated Caesar. They hated Roman authority. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gavatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Back to Matthew 27, we read, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. 
They bound him, led him away, and delivered him over to the governor. And that word delivered means betrayed. To be betrayed into the hands of. And then in verse 22 and following, Pilate hands him over to the guards, delivers him over to be crucified, and that's the theme of Matthew. Betrayal, to be delivered, to be handed over. Jesus was delivered over by Judas. He was delivered over by the Jews. He was delivered over by by Pilate, suffering through and through. But ultimately, the scripture says he was delivered over by the Father. The Father delivered him over to be crucified. Delivered him over to suffer. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son delivered him up for us all. In Acts 2.23, when Peter preaches, he says this, This Jesus delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there's divine sovereignty and human responsibility all tied up in one verse. So from virgin conception to to suffering under Pontius Pilate, directly to the crucifixion. So, if you notice here, a declaration of these truths are essential for our faith. If you've got a problem with the virgin conception, conception of the Holy Spirit, if you have a problem with a virgin birth, if you have any problem with Jesus and the purpose and reason for which he suffered, you really need to examine to see if you're in the faith. That's why we confess these truths. These truths are essential to the faith. And here in the Apostles' Creed, they're, they're given in a, a, a concise narrative form. Brief to the point. This is a brief summarization of God's redeeming work through his son. Now notice the only two people named in the creed, apart from God, are, are Mary and Pilate. Mary and Pilate. Pointing to the fact, once again, this really happened. This is history. This is rooted and grounded in history. Born of this little girl Mary, a virgin. This is not a a once upon a time fairy tale. This occurred in history. And that's why they inserted these names. This is the Christ, born of a virgin, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is not a parable. This is not an allegory. This is not an illustration. This is not some epic tale. This points us to history. Fact, fact, fact. Amen? It all took place so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And it took place on time, and it took place one time. One time. What about life on other planets? I have my neighbor. As soon as I get into any deep conversation about redemption, he, go, he throws me one of these weird, strange curves. What about life on other planets? You know, They need to be redeemed. Could Jesus have gone there too? I'm like, dude. 
This is a guy that used to fly to the Pentagon all the time. He worked at the Pentagon. He's retired. He's not a dummy. But it just shows you it takes the Spirit of God to understand these things. This is the God Almighty who condescended to become like us, to save people made imago Dei, in the image of God. He came to suffer. Immediately following his resurrection, the two troubled souls on that road leading to Emmaus, Jesus meets them. He said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then to his own 11 disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So he was crucified, suffering under Pontius Pilate, that is under his rule as the governor of Judea, a seven to eight year period of time, thereabout, having been appointed by Caesar in Rome to control his interests in the land of Palestine. And it was then that our Lord and Savior suffered and died under this one Pontius Pilate who ruled at this time. So Jesus suffered body and soul. He suffered at the hands of wicked men, but it was according all to the appointment of the Father appointed by God to suffer and to die, leaving man 100% responsible for their actions. And you and I were responsible for the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus Christ and as redeemed saints, the very purpose for which he came to suffer and die was to save you. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And then, Lord willing, next time, crucified, dead, buried. Amen.